Hello and welcome to She's the Doctor, the podcast where we hear from women in medicine about their life and career so far. We'll discuss their interests and achievements, but also explore challenges and failures. I'm your host, Dr. Radhika Thakra, an oversharing houseplant-loving paediatric trainee in London. Every week, I'll be interviewing women from a range of backgrounds in a variety of medical specialties and at different points in their career, each with their own story to tell. In today's episode, Dr. Jade Scott Blaygrove shares the story of her career so far. Growing up in a one-bedroom flat in Bristol, she is now a radiology trainee with a passion for supporting medical students and doctors from widening participation backgrounds. We hear about the variety of challenges she faced from a young age, from being placed into a secondary school over an hour away from home, the difficulty of finding work experience, four rejections the first time she applied to university, and the financial strain of medical school. Jade tells us how she overcame each of these obstacles and what she learned in the process. In 2020, Jade founded the Widening Participation Medics Network, an organisation supporting future doctors from a variety of underrepresented backgrounds, This is now a national network of over 120 volunteers and 600 members. She has since co-founded RADREACH with the Royal College of Radiology to support doctors from widening participation backgrounds applying to radiology training. I felt so inspired speaking to Jade, hearing about her life and taking her career all the way back to the start. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Welcome to the podcast, Jade. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you today? No, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. A day of annual leave, so all is good. Oh, thank you so much for for doing this on your day of annual leave as well. So, Jade, I would really just love to know a bit more about you as a person. And if you don't mind taking us back to when you were younger, because I know you have a bit more of an interesting story. Yes, I'll start. So I I was born in Bristol Mm -hmm. and all my family are still in Bristol. My mum, my cousins, my auntie, uncle, grandparents. So I'm the only one that sort of fleed the nest (laughs) and went around sort of England a little bit. And I grew up with my mum in a single parent household. And we lived in an area where not many people went to university. I knew one of my cousins that went to university, but he dropped out quite early. And I didn't know sort of anyone else. And it just wasn't normalised to go to university. So it wasn't something I really thought about when I was younger. Mm. And I went to a really local school. So it was um, St. Barnabas Primary School, which was about five minutes from my house. And my grandparents lived 10 minutes away. My auntie was five minutes away. So it was a really close-knit community, which I really loved growing up. And I would, like, after school, I would go to my grandparents and stay there for a few hours until my mum finished work. So we were all just really, really close. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think of medicine at that time. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do initially. When I got a bit older, I thought maybe some teaching was something that I was interested in. And I think that's from the really inspirational teachers I had, like Mr. Burton, who's now head teacher at Cabot School. And he was just like a really inspirational person, but someone that also wanted to push me and wanted me to realise my potential. Yeah. So I had him in year six as my teacher at the time. And it was really difficult applying to secondary school. That was one of the first hurdles that I sort of faced growing up. And there was a school that was quite close to me that a few of my friends were going to. But when I looked, my mum let me look around several schools and there was a different one that I wanted to go to and I thought I'd be able to do my best at that school. Mm. So depending on your catchment area and where you lived, sort of depended where you got to go to sec- secondary school. And I applied to the school that I liked, which is like a 20 minute, 25 minute walk. And I put that one first and I put the school nearer to me second. And when we got the sort of letter back to see where you're going, it was neither of those schools. 
and it was somewhere that was like an hour and a half away from me oh because I'd put my favorite school first so that was the first like challenge of how do I now navigate this to get into the school that I want to so we did appeal my mum wrote a letter and um, Mr Burton my year six teacher at the time he wrote a letter as well and eventually through that we did get into the school I wanted so that was me sort of being very persistent at a very yeah. young age like 10 years old and my mum gave me that opportunity to sort of do what she thought was best for me and my education now I like I saw it as a really good school but it's really funny when I go home like from university when I was at university and going in the taxi home with all my suitcases the taxi drivers would like make conversation what are you studying and I'll say medicine they'll be really surprised dropping me off home in St Paul's an area where it's known to have sort of a big population from a low socioeconomic group and everything like growing up there wasn't a library there there wasn't a sports center or anything in that area but now that's changed and it's developed a lot that's so amazing so you were really advocating for yourself and for your education from such a young age and it sounds like you had such an inspirational teacher to help you do that and your mum really supported you as well yeah my mum's been like the cornerstone of always sort of she might see like I have this huge goal and she'll always be there supporting me like she hasn't navigated the system of university and sort of college and everything so she's always been there backing me from sort of the very very beginning that's so nice and are you an only child I am yeah so we've got a really close relationship me and my mum yeah we like when I when I was growing up in the early stages we were in like one bed flat so we like shared a bedroom and everything yeah just been really really close so then what was it that made you want to pursue a career in medicine yeah so it was probably towards a later sort of stage of secondary school and it's a bit stereotypical but I want I probably I watched Casualty in Holby City those are like (laughs) my tv programs for for the week I didn't watch much tv at all growing up but so I just didn't really like tv but these are the like couple of things that I watched and that's where I got my most idea of what doctor nurse like everyone does and everyone's yeah. role <laughs> within like in the NHS sort of thing so it was quite interesting initially that was my perspective I didn't really see my GP very much so I didn't know much about GP either but from there I was like oh this seems a little bit interesting I wonder how I can find out a bit more about it and then it was mainly sort of reading up to find the difference between the different roles there's so many different roles within mm. the NHS and finding out what I w- really wanted to do and at that stage I realized I loved finding out how things worked and I still do not necessarily just within medicine but sort of all sorts really yeah so I that put together with my love to interacting with different people and finding out more about people and seeing how I could help by putting my knowledge of understanding the human body and then that people aspect putting those two things together is what I thought oh medicine seems great and I literally got a prospectus when they used to like post them out to you when you speak <laughs> and like I went through crossing off lots of things I didn't want to do and engineering was still on the list at the time but I really didn't like physics I was really scared of physics to be <laughs> honest I was like I don't understand the universe um so I went more with biology and that's how I sort of ended in the avenue of medicine really. mm. I was the same. I did physics for A-level and I could not wait to drop it. I don't think you can drop A-levels anymore, but I only did it for AS because I found physics so hard out of all of the sciences. Yeah. Um, And did you manage, did you do any work experience or anything like that? So work experience, again, was really challenging to get. So I tried applying for lots of different places to do some work experience, but like my mum didn't drive as well. And then I, I didn't drive at that stage and I still don't. So I didn't really know. I couldn't go too far afield. You'd yeah. be working via trains, buses and everything. So I wrote to the hospitals that I could do and I didn't get anything positive back. So in the end, I managed to get two days from my local hospital, the Bristol Royal Infirmary, 
and that was with one of the vascular surgeons that I sort of watched a few small procedures I watched varicose veins being removed from someone's <laughs> leg. I remember just seeing like this metal hook and being absolutely terrified and thinking I needed to sit down and <laughs> take a breather. So that was one of my first experience. But the way that I sort of got into the NHS and understanding a bit more about hospitals was becoming a governor at 17 for the Bristol Royal Infirmary. Oh, wow. And I didn't know what a governor meant sort of months before applying or anything like that. I didn't know they existed, what the board did. But I was part of a youth council from quite young growing up and it was in Bristol made of people that are the patients at the children's hospital or young people interested in medicine, nursing and lots of the allied healthcare professional careers. And we got together and sort of advocated for people that would use the facilities in the hospital. So we almost did like a mystery shopping day as well, where we got to walk around the hospital, ask questions and see how they interacted with us and how we can improve the facilities. So that's how I initially got into being at the youth council and then someone that led the youth council Maria told me a little bit more about the role of a governor and she supported me in my application to be a governor and then I got elected which was amazing. That is so cool and what's really nice to hear is that although I think it's quite widely accepted now that a lot of students get work experience based on who they know and it's such an annoying part of of the medical application process and that's that's what you work towards with your widening participation medics network which we'll talk about later but it's really nice to hear how you overcame that with like kind of going at it from a different angle but still being able to get that clinical experience and understand hospital how a hospital works Yeah, no, definitely. And that's when I got that role, one of the first things I advocated for was work experience and making it a bit more fair across the board. And it was quite difficult at that time, they were still restricted to two people per school. But I was trying to explain that some people, even if they knew a doctor, family, family, friend, that they would still get work experience regardless of two per school. So I didn't get my point across as clearly as I wanted to at that time. But slowly things are changing, especially with some virtual work experiences as well. And some of the rural colleges actually putting in a lot more effort than I saw back then. So then how did you find applying to medical school? Because that in itself is a whole thing. Yeah, it's quite terrifying, to be honest. It was just very overwhelming with lots to do and not really understanding the structure or anything. Like a personal statement was really, really challenging. I'm not someone that likes to sell myself at all. And I was like, how do I write this? What do I write? What, like, how do you structure it? And it was really, really intimidating, like putting, I say pen to paper, but I think I was probably typing it out at that stage. Yeah. <laughs> and thinking of how to do that. So that aspect was challenging. I remember sending it off initially to trying to ask one of the people I did my work experience with, that vascular surgeon, and he said he'd give me a little bit of feedback, but that was pretty much the only link I had in medicine. And then the rest of it was deciding where I wanted to go. When you don't know many people at the different universities, it's quite challenging to know, and especially because all my family were in Bristol, it wasn't normal to go too far away. So I applied the first time round and I'm not sure what my predicted grades were at that time, but I didn't get any offers at all. So okay. decided to take a year out and I decided I wanted to work as a healthcare assistant because my auntie was in that healthcare assistant. She was previously in social care as well. And she was told me about the role and I thought it's a good it's time for me to learn a bit more about what everyone does, gain some skills which are universal and be amazing for sort of medicine and lots of other careers. And so I applied for two jobs and I got both of them, but I decided to go for the one where I was a healthcare assistant working in theatres. So I was in neurosurgery and I just got to watch all the neurosurgery like every day. So it was an amazing experience for an 18 year old. There's obviously the downsides of doing nights when I just, yeah, my body clock just didn't know how to transition to that initially. And then 
also the difficult, challenging moments of like the patients that would um, die in theatre and coping with that at 18 was like a big challenge. Yeah. So it was very, very eye opening. But it was amazing to see all the sort of operations and the robots and different things, equipment that they even had at that stage. Do you think your experience as an HCA um, changed how you have practiced medicine? I think it's definitely taught me a lot and it's it really has enabled me to understand the different roles and the parts that people play within the team and I think that, that the team that we had was just very very nice when I was there it was everyone would support you and it was just learning lots of different skills which can be utilized even mm. from communication skills and communicating with different people it was quite interesting I think to for how some people speak to different people in different roles I found very interesting and I think partially when they found out then that I wanted to do like I said I wanted to do surgery at that point a lot of people then changed how they sort of interacted with me compared to how they interacted with others so it was quite eye-opening in many many ways. Yeah it sounds like you had a really amazing experience you almost had like a year's worth of work experience. Yeah exactly yeah that, that's 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 really amazing and well done you for doing that and then how was your medical school application after that so I got four interviews then because before I didn't even get one interview and I got four offers after that and I think build that year taught me to build a lot of confidence so I wasn't very confident sort of as a 17 18 year old initially applying and that year taught me a lot in that sense as well so it wasn't just the interaction with the surgeons I think and being able to talk about all of the amazing things that I'd seen but it was just being able to get myself across a little bit better. Yeah, I guess you would have like grown up, you're, work, you're working, yeah. you would have matured a lot in one year and then you're, that Definitely. would, as you say, make your confidence grow as well and the way you, the way you carry yourself as well, I guess. Yeah. So, so you had four offers, so where did you end up going to medical school? So I decided on Manchester in the end. It was a difficult decision, especially because my, my nan, when I spoke to her, she thought Manchester was extremely far away. It's three hours on a train from Bristol. <laughs> she travelled over from Jamaica, like, and she thinks that me going to Manchester was like a bigger move, so I, I don't understand. But for her, I think it was just <laughs> the only person in the family moving away, then that just seemed like a very, very far place to go. But it was lots of different reasons. I was interested in research at the time, so I thought it was a great place to do research. And then they also offered quite a good bursary for people from widening participation backgrounds. And that was a big financial thing mm. for me because I realised when I was breaking it down before I went to university that this was going to be a struggle to get through. And I even had to rely on my year working as a healthcare assistant where I put some money aside that I could do each month. That's what came into play for my final year, to be honest. And how, how was medical school for you then? How did you find Manchester? I loved it. It was a great city to be a medical student in. It was very overwhelming at the beginning and just trying to yeah. find, like, it was just, I remember just standing there for the first time, like, going for interviews even, and the buildings were just so big and everything was just so grand. And I was just like, I'm going to get lost in this big city. But it was a great experience. Made some really, really good friends there. And PBL, at the time, it was probably a bit too PBL-focused, problem-based learning. But now they've made it a bit more integrated but it's definitely something that suits me a lot better because I struggle to concentrate for hours and hours of lectures. Mm. It's just not a way I learn personally. So that was a big impact on applying second time around. I did pretty much all PBL-based universities. 
That's really interesting because when I was applying, I basically crossed off all the PBL universities. I was like, yeah, because I, I think I prefer lectures and I prefer being taught like that. Um, yeah. So it's really interesting to hear. And how did you find when you when you first started, you were so far away from home, everything you knew was in Bristol. Yeah. How did you find like being so far away from home? It was definitely a challenge initially. I was in hall, so it was nice to be around lots of other people that were in similar experiences. And we had quite a lot of international students in the halls that I was at because I was in pretty much near the city centre. And it was difficult to learn, like, there's even more budgeting that you had to do now. You're paying all of these extra additional bills and everything. But then also just the basics of settling into a new city whilst you're going to university for the first time. I think there was just a lot of challenges, but I did manage to make it home for Easter and Christmases and holidays but it was still over £50 a time to go home and back. So it was yeah. quite expensive and that meant I couldn't go home as often as I wanted to. And how, how were your summers? How did you, what did you do your summer, in your summers? Yeah, so most of my summers were working. So I had so many different jobs. I've probably had over 10 different jobs. I was talking to my mum and I was, <laughs> I was like, I've had more jobs than you have sort of in my <laughs> first six years. But some of them, were, most of them were sort of temporary or part-time, but it varied significantly. So one of my jobs was working at a photography gallery and it was just like checking that people that came in and registering them and everything to working six days a week at the train station when they were doing electrification of the rail at Bristol. So I was in that role, sort of, what's my time? I think I was working from six till two was one of the shifts I was doing. Really? So, yeah, six days a week. So it was getting used to different styles of working. That was so much communication when I was basically directing everyone to the right platforms or people getting upset because their train's been cancelled because of all the changes or going to they were going to the wrong platforms because of the all of the different changes of the timetable. So there's lots of stressed people that I was trying to, calm down and help which is very very good for medicine you really know? <laughs> helpful yeah you're getting all those communication skills in so early because I don't think I dealt with a stressed or angry patient until I was an F1 yeah um, so that's that's amazing like I understand that you had to work to, to help finance financially but you were able to gain so many skills and it's really nice that you can reflect back on that and actually take that and be like these different jobs really helped once you became a doctor yeah definitely definitely so then when you, when you finished medical school, um, how, what, what did you decide on next? So I decided I wanted to go down to London, which was a really difficult decision because again, finances, like I was literally yeah. 45 pounds and I was just like, this is, this is pretty tough now, <laughs> especially that's like when you paid your double rent and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get through for the next few weeks. So that was my challenge initially, where do I want to go? So I decided London for F1 and F2. I was thinking of doing the academic foundation program and I started my application, but then I just got a bit overwhelmed by it all. And when they're asking for all these points for different things and I just realized that, decided I wasn't good enough and I deleted my application form and went, (laughs) but I was happy that I I went to London. I got my first, like where I wanted to go first choice. So I was at Hillingdon and Chelsea in Westminster and rotated through respiratory. I started on, I did psychiatry and I did OBS and gynae. And then I went on for, well, COVID happened, my F2. So I was eight months in A&E instead of four months. And then I was meant to do paediatrics, which I was interested in. So I swapped into paediatrics for my ITU, but then that got cancelled. And I did care of the elderly as well. So You've range. got a really similar story to me because I, um, 
I also did eight months of A&E and I was only uh, meant to do four yeah. during my F2. So we must be at the same level. But um, yeah. I, I was meant to do OBS and gynae and I really wanted OBS and gynae because I was between paediatrics and OBS and gynae. Yeah. Um, and then they said, actually, you have to do eight months of A&E. And I was like, I, luckily, I'd actually already applied to paediatrics because yeah. I, after my rotation, I really liked it. But um, I had the exact same scenario where I was like, I really want that last rotation just to double check. And then yeah. I didn't get it because of COVID and I had to do my eight months of a So then how, well, first of all, how did you find London? Did you, like, did you enjoy it or was it not what it, you thought it might be? I definitely enjoyed it. It was really good and it was a lot easier to get home to Bristol and train yeah. and everything, which was really nice. And I had a few, sort of, I didn't know many people that were in London. So it was a good opportunity to make new friends and meet new people. And my first placement, I lived, decided to live in between the two hospitals. So it meant that it was quite a big commute going to Hillingdon Hospital. So I think there was a lot less sort of socialising at that hospital because everyone would then just disperse home yeah. in different directions. But it was a good, good, good place to be. I think there's a lot of focus or emphasis put on going to London for foundation years. And I definitely don't think it's like a necessity. I, you learn so, like, so much wherever you are. And I think sometimes we forget that. But I felt like my experiences, like overall, it was really good. There's obviously really stressful points and everything, like in any job. But it was, I'm happy I went. And then, how did you decide that you wanted to pursue a career in radiology? Yeah, so that was that probably came rather late. But I think for lots of people, radiology does because you just don't find out that much about it beforehand. Yeah. And my my only experiences as an F one and F two was like queuing in the department <laughs> to waiting to talk to the radiologist. So when I was on my and gynae, that was a bit easier when I was just getting all my ultrasounds because it's like every single one of these are necessary. But I must admit I was one of those F ones that went down. I wasn't quite sure sometimes why my C T <laughs> chest abdomen pelvis was necessary and why it needed to be done today. Yeah. But you know, that's what I go down with. So. Yeah, exactly. So I definitely wasn't the best referrer at the time. But I during different jobs of my F1 and F2, I picked up bits of, I was like, what do I enjoy most about all of these different jobs that I was in? And a lot of the time radiology came up and I found that really? really interesting. And it wasn't until I sort of stood back and took an overarching view and looked back and I was like, actually, that's quite interesting. But what I did the, I think, it, I can't remember which website it was on. It might have been the BMA or one of those websites, but it had like a quiz you can do to find out what specialties. I think it was called the SI 59 or something. And then radiology came quite high up and I was I was like, oh, that's surprising, I think. And then I looked into radiology a bit more. And I was like, oh, actually, it's quite broad. And then I spoke to some radiologists and then I got a taste a week. And that was the key sort of pinpoint in finding out a lot more about the specialty because there's so many stereotypes of radiologists, which <laughs> even like consultants and other specialists I spoke to had, they're like, you can't do radiology. Like, you're going to lose all your communication skills. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of start believing them. I was like, oh, you're just going to be in a dark room all the time. I was like, oh, but I like, and then we're like, you won't see patients. It's like, I like patients. <laughs> I want to have that contact with patients. So hearing all those things at the beginning was a bit a bit of a put off. I'm not going to yeah. lie, but I had my taste of week, spoke to radiologists and it was very quickly into my taste of week. It's like, yeah, this feels like the right environment for me. I really like it. I love the variety, literally doing head to toe. And it, you're doing so, there's so many different modalities. There's so many aspects where you're doing MRIs, looking at CTs, and you've got the nuclear side of things. There's just so much yeah. in there. And I don't have to specialize straight away. There's just, I can work with children, adults, such a range. And the actual imaging was just really interesting of all of the things. You realize that you're helping like the majority of patients that come into hospital, you're having a big impact on their journey and what happens next. 
Wow. Yeah, I guess you guys really are like such a key part of any patient's journey. We yeah. and we rely so much on on radiology, don't we? We yeah. as doctors, we rely so much on the investigations, on the reports, on on your opinions. Um, yeah. So it's I I can see. I can see that side of it. And yeah, I think I have this um, incorrect perception that radiologists sit in a dark room all day, but I'm learning actually that you guys do a lot more than that. And there's the interventional radiology side of things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what, what kind of things do you enjoy about radiology? Why do you love it? Do you love so, it? I do. No, I definitely do. It's like I, when I was, we were sitting at a table, me and lots of the trainees, um, probably about a month back. And there was one of the students that came in that was interested on um, his taste of wheat. And he was like, so what would you do if you didn't do radiology? And the majority of us, actually all of us said, there's not another specialty that we would do if we didn't get into radiology. Really? Which I found absolutely fascinating. It's just like, it, that's exactly what it's like for me. I think other than the variety and what I've explained, I like being able to have like for ultrasound, we have 15 minutes or so with that patient. You can find out so much about someone and you can help dispel lots of myths or fears that they have. So it's not just, we're clinical as well. It's not just yeah. doing the ultrasound and then saying bye to the patient, but they might disclose some more information to you or discuss that with you. And then you can then say, like talk about gallstones a little bit more and sort of educate patients at that time wow, before yeah. they go back to the ward. So there's lots of different questions that they have. And you're just like, oh, but you didn't ask one of your doctors on the ward, but they've asked you because it's that they've got that time to sort of yeah. settle down. You've got that 15 minutes with a doctor, which you don't always have on a ward round. No. So it's quite nice to have that relationship with people. And I only recently really, I realized that I love intervention as well. So that's the area I want to go into is interventional radiology. And it's the impact that you can make through just such minimally invasive surgery. It's, it's just like mind blowing when I realized the breadth of it and I was at a annual meeting for interventional oncology a couple of days ago and just to see the vast amount they do like the radio frequency ablations that they do and the, they actually treat conditions as well I think that was the thing I was just realizing how much that they can treat and I watched one of the big cases in vascular as well for the ruptured aneurysms and it's just incredible what can happen yeah there really is a huge huge variety to it isn't there there is there is so Jade, we've heard about your story and kind of what's brought you here today, which has been fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing it. I just want to know, was there any point along the way that you thought, actually, I don't want to do this anymore, that you felt like maybe giving up or doing something different? Did, did you ever kind of have those emotions? I did. And I think the, the point came for me when I was relatively junior as a doctor and the hours were absolutely exhausting. I had I had such a terrible rotor. And there, I felt like I didn't have that full support network, whether COVID sort of played a role in that, yeah. possibly so. But then I didn't also feel like I was having the impact that I wanted to have. And I think it can be quite hard at a junior stage sometimes when you a big part of your job might be doing some of the tasks, like lots of discharge summaries, and you're not doing what you want to see yourself sort of doing and what you expect like you to be doing at that stage and I think that was quite challenging and it was quite I think it wasn't until I realized what I wanted to do in medicine that I realized actually this is definitely I want to stay in medicine I found my area and I found my like the group that I want to be with what people, I want to yeah. do for the future exactly so it wasn't until that sort of hit me after probably a few weeks to months feeling like that before that I was like actually I do still want to do medicine and that's when I had my taste week and everything I was like oh this is definitely right 
But there was that bit before that was just really challenging. I think F1 and 2 is hard in that way in that you're kind of, you're doing these short rotations and you don't, a lot of the time we don't know what we want to do. And then you see, you feel like everyone else knows exactly what they want to do. And you feel like everyone else has known since the first day of uni and they've done all their audits and quips and they were on all societies. And then you're just like, I don't know what I want to do. Um, But I felt the same when I, when I like found pediatrics, that sounds really cheesy, but when I found pediatrics and realized I really liked it, I began to enjoy medicine so much more because it was, you could just like, you just realized you'd found your tribe and you you'd, yeah. you knew what you enjoyed and you enjoyed going to work. Um, so yeah, I totally relate that. I It makes it so much more enjoyable when, when you kind of have that bit of direction that you might have lacked before. Yeah, it really does. Like that enjoyment of going to work, it's such yeah. a, big, a big change. And you're like, then you come home and then you won't stop talking about your, like a few things that happened during your day. And then yeah. you're, like you're told to like calm down. <laughs> it's been a time now. <laughs> yeah, you're not at work anymore. And yeah. you also need someone to tell you not to do that because so you can yeah. have that boundary as well. You do. And you said earlier about um, thinking about applying to AFP, but you thought you weren't good enough. And like I, I had that same thing too. And I also didn't apply for an a- AFP. Um, but have you had those feelings of imposter syndrome in other parts of your life and how have you dealt with them? Yeah, I think it's sort of come in and out. So even from applying to medicine for the first time and getting that rejection, that's a like tricky situation to deal with. I personally knew I wanted to apply again, but then you, at the beginning when you're applying, you're not sure if you're good enough. And then you get four rejections and I kind of felt like, well, now I'm being told I'm not good enough. So it's quite hard to change your mentality to think, actually, this is still what I want to do. And perhaps I am good enough, but it wasn't at that time that I was like, yeah, I'm great. I'm going to be a great doctor. It was just like, well, I want to try again and see what they think of me type of thing. But it's also sort of in and out of medical school. I've definitely had that feeling. I've done like pretty well, like during medical school. And I still, yeah, I still had those feelings throughout. So it's quite interesting to find out like who has those feelings why they're like persistent because I don't think it like fully has gone away for me it comes at certain points in time yeah. even in radiology like starting radiology again is like starting medical school you feel like you see a CT and they're like what structure is this and I was like I didn't know the adrenal gland looked like that <laughs> you know so it's really really interesting of how imposter syndrome does kick in but I think for certain people from like widening participation backgrounds I think often it can have a bigger impact and they might suffer from it a little bit more specifically because throughout or previously they've almost been told that they're not good enough because there's these barriers in the way yeah and it's comparing you to someone else that might have had a lot more privileges and been able to bypass all of all or some of those barriers and then when you're compared sort of on the same sort of deck it's a bit more challenging because you're like well this person's had to do all of these extra things to get to the same place that actually brings us really nicely on to the Widening Participation Medics Network, which you call WPMN, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so I founded um, WPMN back in May 2020. And it was at a time where I, I've always felt like I want to do more for the medical community, especially people that have been through lots of different situations that have put them at a disadvantage to every, everyone else. So I didn't want to just focus on my background, like coming from a low socioeconomic group, being a black female. I wanted to make sure we were inc- really inclusive, like those with disabilities, those who are carers and have been care leavers for some of the additional groups as well, which widening participation covers for us. 
And at the time, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to form. But I realized during medical school, I felt like I needed a group of people that understood me a little bit more. And in addition, I felt like I needed lots of support from the medical school in ways that they might have not known how to support me. Yeah. And Manchester was pretty good compared to stories I've heard from some of the other medical schools. And like I think Manchester, Sheffield and lots of the Scottish universities are actually leading in widening participation in Southampton as well. But it was just trying to make sure that people at all of the medical schools from these different backgrounds have the support that they need to thrive. And there's a lot of work going on now, specifically with the bursary for financial barriers. Yeah. But and there's certain like doctors networks and groups for like for example for students with disabilities and doctors with disabilities that are out there. But bringing us together is not saying that we're all the same, but it's saying if we have that big voice, we're going to be listened to by lots of organisations which can instill change to make sure it's more of a level playing field for everyone. Yeah, that's amazing. So so what is the kind of work that you do now for WPMN? So we've got quite a big audience, actually. So it's aspiring medical students, current medical students and doctors from these backgrounds that I described. And we su- not only support students, so aspiring medical students, we do essay competitions and that's to help them prepare for those who want to take BMAT. So we give them feedback from two people and they get written feedback so they can improve on that. We also give them access to medical students across over half of the medical schools in the UK. So if they've got questions would like to understand before they apply, they can get that information. So it's not just about who you know. Yeah. So it's trying to break down some of those barriers. And then we do a lot of work with current medical students, mainly through our local representatives that we have in lots of the different medical schools. And they collect, collect feedback, which is specific to their medical school from students from similar backgrounds. And then they sort of ask the questions, what can we do to solve these issues at our medical school to sort of knock down some of these barriers that we have and then we support them in going to their medical school and discussing some of these issues but if we realize they're at national level at our yearly meetings that um, our monthly meetings that we have then we'll bring that together and then just maybe discuss with a different body like the medical schools council we've had some meetings with or on sort of like a type of advisory board almost for the gmc who can come to us and we also talk with quite a few of the royal colleges as well Wow, Jade, that is amazing. You must be so proud of yourself. Like, that's such an amazing achievement, something you've only established two years ago. And yeah. it's been, it sounds like it's been really successful and made a really big impact for so many people out there. So you must be really proud of yourself because that really is such a great achievement. Well done. No, I'm proud of like the whole team. There's 120 volunteers now. It's a huge wow. team of us. So and we've got about 600 members on the website, but it's definitely sort of big team effort. I couldn't do it without them. Got That's like so a great good. national committee as well. Wow. I'll definitely I'll leave a link to the website on um in the show notes as well, just so if anyone else wants to get involved on either side, either from the team or as an aspiring medical student or, or a medical right. student and wants to be involved from that side as well. What has been your proudest achievement about WPMN? I think for me, it's seeing lots of development within the people that we have as volunteers. We've had sort of volunteers when they've come, they've been quite lots of them have been quite shy and they haven't had a leadership position before, and we've recruited them. We have a buddy scheme where we have one of our doctor representatives, because we have doctors across lots of the different specialties too. They would buddy with one of the students, and it wouldn't be focused towards WPMN at all, actually. It'd be focused towards professional and personal development. So it's trying to help them sort of navigate the tick box exercise of medicine that exists. And it's watching them develop as a leader, and then seeing them then apply for different positions and more 
we don't have a strict hierarchy but more sort of type senior roles within the organization and then seeing their confidence grow for me that's been amazing to see and we have lots of events that we've had fantastic feedback for and with our events lead which is previously Ambrina's now Maria it's amazing to see the impact that they're having as individuals within the network and then the impact that then that goes on to have to like the aspiring and current medical students it's great that's so nice and then actually on the flip side what what would you have said what would you say was some of the challenges you had when you were establishing it or even at the moment any challenges that you yeah had? so I think the challenges is that it grew a lot bigger than I thought it was going to at the, okay. at the pace <laughs> Too so successful. It, was, <laughs> it was trying to learn how to contain it so you continue to have the impact that you want because when something grows too too quickly you then lose track of what's going on yeah and it was trying to make sure we had enough leads of all the different areas. Because at the beginning, I was just like, oh, I, just, I was literally sat on my bed in London because we didn't have a living room because everyone has a bedroom in the living room. And I was like, how am I going to do this? And I was like, for the first time, I was using Wix to create like the website. And yeah. that was the first time I'd ever used Wix to do that. And then I was like, oh, now I need to make a logo. So there's me trying to make a logo for the first time. So there's lots of like little challenges as well along the way. But it's been, I've learned so much about it, and especially so much about leadership. And yeah. how to make sure you instill the best from your team and how you support your team. I love that the challenge was that it grew, it was almost too successful. <laughs> That's great. And then tell us a bit about RadReach as well, because I've seen you posting about that on Twitter, but I don't know much about it. Yeah, so RadReach is a collaboration between the Royal College of Radiologists and then uh-huh. also Widening Participation Medics Network. And it's the, well, it was formed by Anu Hannah. Hannah is the vice president of the oncology side of the Royal College. And then Anu is consultant radiologist. And they got in contact with me sort of at the end of 2020. So it was only a few months after I'd started WPMN and they'd heard about it. So they contacted me on Twitter and we were like, what can we do within our specialties to continue the work of widening participation, but just making it a lot more specific which radiology and oncology is actually quite small compared to lots of the other colleges that are out there. So what we decided to do, we brainstormed, had a few sessions on Zoom. I still haven't met them in person. This is like (laughs) something I need to actually do. Um, And then we sort of created the idea of RadReach and made a proposal for the Royal College of exactly what we wanted. And Hanu helped take that forward to the Royal College at one of their meetings and the proposal was accepted. And then we managed to expand within the college. But what we actually do is we're not just a mentoring scheme, but mentoring is sort of one pillar of what we do. We have final year medical students and junior doctors, which are mentored by radiology and oncology registrars and consultants. And they go on to a training, like it's a training sort of day that they have just to learn how to be a good mentor, but also a mentee because it's new for a lot of people and they haven't necessarily had training even if they've done it in the past. And there's training that's available. And then they start their sort of one-year relationship, one-to-one, but we also have workshops throughout the year to support the mentees as well. And we hope to have some in person finally, which will be great at the Royal College. And when I say it's not just mentoring, it's also about coaching and advocacy. And in the future, we hope to be able to have some sponsorship opportunities for people that go through the community of RadReach. And the idea is to keep that community so everyone feels like they belong and we can also help the Royal College when you have lots of people from the widening partic- different widening participation groups to improve what they do for different people at the college. But the college is doing a lot more in diversity now, which is amazing to see. That's so nice. And it's really nice to see that you're quite a big representative of that, of, of widening participation, but particularly in radiology. Yeah. Um, 
so that, that that's amazing really well done I feel really inspired listening to you I feel like I need to do more of these sorts of things as well one question I always like to ask everyone is what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself it doesn't need to necessarily be like before medical school or after medical school at any point in time of your life what, what advice would you give to yourself I think there's a few pieces of advice, but I think one of them is to sort of set yourself some goals. It doesn't have to be huge goals, which you're like going to have to work for years and years and years towards, but set yourself some goals. So I think it's really good to try and push yourself out of your comfort zone and do things that you're really interested in, which doesn't have to be work related, something that you can escape work for a bit, but it's sort of that, maybe it's a sport, maybe it's something arty, maybe it is something slightly related to medicine. And try and focus on how you're going to achieve that in a time scale that fits you rather than what fits someone else giving you goals and telling you what you need to do and achieve and I think it's a nice way to supplement just a nice balance I get in my life from having something like that to do and I think another one is learning to say yes so like I said pushing yourself and doing things that are uncomfortable doing that presentation even though it feels really scary but also learning to say no at the right time because otherwise you're going to be inundated with too much to do and it will get very, very overwhelming very quickly. So learning when to say yes and no is actually not very easy. Well, I haven't found it very easy <laughs> at all. It's something I've developed along the way. And then I think the last thing really is just finding what you're passionate about in medicine. And for some people, I, I understand that they go through the path, go maybe, go maybe do F1 and F2, and actually they realize it's not for them. And that's also okay. Yeah. But just giving yourself the opportunity to find out what what you really enjoy and lose all the stereotypes just getting involved and finding out what's right for you because often there is something that you'll find that just you just realize you're really passionate about and it might not be what you initially thought so just yeah. opening yourself up to those opportunities and that's I think the best way to sort of find your happiness within medicine oh I love that imagine if you didn't do that quiz or you didn't do your taste a week like you might be a completely different specialty yeah yeah I'll make sure I leave a link to the to the quiz in the show notes as well. What kind of things do you like to do in your spare time? You do so much medical work. What kind of stuff do you do when you're chilling out? Well, I love food. I love <laughs> food a lot. So if I, I love cooking and I love eating out. So at the moment, I'm learning how to make pasta. So I've got my little pasta machine. Oh, nice. And I'm also learning how to do dim sums. So I've got a couple of books and I've made a few different types of dim sum as well. So those have been my like things recently, but I also love to bake as well. So every now and again, I'll bring something into work, but not as regularly as I want to, I need to do some more extra baking. And they can be like my testers to see if it's good or not. And I get lovely, honest feedback from the team. Oh, so that's nice. great. <laughs> what I love about cooking is that you're like actually using your hands. So you can't be on your phone. You, you can maybe listen yeah. to music or a podcast, but you're, you're so involved that it like exactly. consumes you, which is really nice in a way because you're so completely distracted yeah like some of the dishes I make you have to make your stock and everything like the day before yeah. and then you're like folding for six hours the next day <laughs> <laughs> but luckily I can freeze a big batches so that's nice but other than cooking and things I like I like playing the guitar and just chilling and listening to lots of music which is like a variety of music I don't really have a favorite genre I just love music in general so those are yeah. the main things then just going for a nice wonder a nice walk yeah, I've literally found since COVID that I love walking, like just going on a nice yeah. walk when the weather's nice, going for an, a little bit of an explore, like why not? We don't have to stay inside all the time. Yeah, no, definitely. And then other than that, I try to go to the gym a couple of times a week. We'll see how my, my rotor is and how many evening shifts I have. But luckily, so good. How do you do it all? How do you balance everything? 
I'm probably overly organized. (laughs) (laughs) I just have to be very, very organized. But yeah, Yeah. making time for friends and family for me is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to Bristol when you can, I bet. Yeah, definitely. So what's next for you? What's, What's happening in life right now? What are your plans over the next few months? Well, there's lots of change, actually. For WPMN, I'm stepping down as CEO over the next few weeks. And we've just recruited our new CEO and deputy. So they'll be all over social media soon on our sort of Twitter and everything. And I'm going to continue in WPMN as a trustee. So looking a lot more of the strategy and how we make the organisation and keep it sustainable for the future. So that's sort of a bit more of a transition. And then I want to do a lot more in terms of rad reach and expanding it so we get even more mentees on board, but also doing a lot more interventional um, things with interventional radiology. So I've been to the course, I worked on a course yesterday in Norwich, which was really, really good. Definitely recommended your sort of either early training for IR or we even had someone from vascular surgery join us. It was great to learn, very, very hands-on. And then also just doing a lot more outside of medicine as well. So keeping up the lots of the hobbies and making more time for it. I was doing yoga quite regularly um, like a few months ago, but I want to get back into doing that a bit more regularly. Yeah. And starting meditating and things. So keeping up with everything outside as well. Well, Jade, thank you so much for um, coming on the podcast today. I really loved speaking to you. I really loved hearing your story. Um, and I found it really inspiring as well to, to hear a story quite different to mine, but also hear about what you learned along the way, how you've faced your different challenges, and then how you've come to be what seems to be a really happy and content person right now, balancing lots of different things at once, but managing to do it all. Thank you so much. I'll make sure I leave a link to your um, to Radreach, WPMN, your Twitter, all in the show notes. Um, and yeah, thanks a lot for being here. No, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show so far, then don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review on your podcast app as it really helps other people find out about it. If you have any feedback or suggestions, drop me a line on my Instagram at Dr. Radica. The link is in the show notes. Have a good week.